Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, this is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. You know what this sounds like? Me singing karaoke? Well, no, not you, <laughs> but it sounds like, you know, you go online and try to find the karaoke version of these yes! songs. This is Gwyneth Paltrow covering CeeLo Green for the TV show Glee. <laughs> and the fact that I know all of this is tells you everything you need to know. Sounds like Kids Bop. Yeah, right! That's what yes! I was trying to think of. Kids that's Bob. it. Good, that's right, Bernie. That's- so I have to tell you guys a story. Over the weekend, I was at dinner um, with my husband and one of our listeners, Jen, asked not me, but asked Craig. Before Beth was on the radio, did she really like wake up to a song? Or is that just like a kitschy thing that she does for the radio? Wait, and I was like... You guys are taking listeners to dinner now? <laughs> we were like, I was like, what? You think I would just make this up? And Craig started laughing. He was like, oh, 100%. This is a real thing. And I will tell you that she sings the same line. Over and over again, all day long. And I was like, wow, I just learned how annoying I am to my husband. So when you <laughs> when you sing this song to him today, is it this version or is it the original CeeLo unedited version? I woke up to this version, specifically to the line, um, I'm sorry, I'm can't pull yeah. it up a Rory. <laughs> that part, that's what I woke up to. And that's how I knew it was the Gwyneth Paltrow version. There it is. Right there. But that don't mean I can't get you there. Now, you know what I'm thinking. You wake up, you wake up with a Gwyneth Paltrow song, and it could have been another one. It could have been this one. This is Gwyneth Paltrow? Oh, yes, yes, it is, Bernie, but who else is it? And Huey Lewis. (laughs) I mean, come on, Beth. From the movie Duet. You were halfway there. You could have had this one. So, Bo Thompson, I hope that one Christmas... This station has a karaoke party, <laughs> and I think that this should be the song that you and I sing. Got to recreate it. <laughs> is, made for love. is there a music video for this? Yeah. Yeah, it's from so the So you guys have to dress like they dress, too. Well, it's funny. Huey, Huey Lewis plays her dad. Okay, let's go back to the other song. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say? I've already been... You know, we've already had your your uh, nephew basically say you and me are Diane Keaton and Steve Martin. Yes, so. and we are also uh, the folks from All in the Family, <laughs> Edith and Archie Bunker. Right. Yes, <laughs> we're not trending in the right direction. <laughs> it's the way it goes, Bo. It's what it's what happens with life. We need to invest in moisturizer. <laughs> so, so Bernie, uh, I gave you that piece of audio. I want to play this real quick. Roll that real quick, okay? Here we go.
the song I would No, to. no, no. So this is the headline I did not expect to be reading on Monday morning. Jim Zoki and Beth Troutman and Bernie Bowles. NFL MVP Cam Newton appears to get into a fight at a seven-on-seven football game. Did you see this footage? I did, but that's it. I saw the footage. I didn't know the context of it, so I was curious. It looked like he was at some, like, like a radio event, like we do, like uh, when we were outside, like we're working uh, right. an event outside at a car dealership, and so like there's a tent there, and I just saw the part where a bunch of guys jumped him, like they were fighting him, and that his his hat uh, cleverly never came off his head. <laughs> well, and I was what? telling Beth the, the 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 story that you keep seeing on social media. I mean, there was a fight that broke out, and that's not good, obviously. And you're, you're trying to make sense of the details, especially watching you know the footage that is somebody's phone moving erratically. But the one thing that people keep coming back to is Cam Newton basically stayed on his feet the whole time and took on this whole group. And I kept thinking, and then they're going like, Cam Newton is a big dude. This is Cam Newton, you know, the slim down. Uh, you know, he changed his diet, Cam Newton. Think about if it well, was the Cam. Six, five. I know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is if he did that and he's sort of slimmed down and is smaller than he used to be, think about if this if this guy this had happened when he was at his 2015 size. Well, he did have on a witch hat, so maybe he was using magical powers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a top hat that never fell off. But it, it didn't even look like a top hat. It looked like he was about to go to a production of Wicked on Broadway. <laughs> well, maybe he was. No. Like, like he had this like weird pointy hat on, and it, you're right, it didn't fall off. But I don't I think, think it's a pointy hat. I think it's just pointy hair coming through the hat. Coming through the hat? Well, I think the reason it didn't fall off is because it was a Halloween costume and it had a chin strap. <laughs> I think it had a chin strap. So this this video hit social media yesterday, and then it got deleted a couple of times, and you're, you're watching it sort of spread like wildfire and then national outlets start picking it up and so uh, Fox National for example has it here is how they describe what happened here it says video has gone viral on social media of Newton the former Carolina Panthers and Patriots quarterback getting into an altercation with several men apparently from top shelf performance who had teams playing in the first Wee Ball Sports 7 on 7 tournament in Atlanta before the fight was ultimately broken up Newton's uh, C1N 7 on 7 team was also participating in the event. It's unknown how the fight was started, but it began under a pop-up tent that was seen at the top of a football field, eventually spilled over to a fence where Newton was seen not letting go of someone as people tried to break the uh, the fight up. Said somebody in a white t-shirt came in and threw a big punch, uh, though it didn't appear anyone got severely injured, but it was, as they say, a fracas. Why would they? What would lead to a fight at a seven on seven? <laughs> yeah, like why? What a word! Is it not appropriate though? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It was pandemonium. Bernie. Pandemonium. There you go. Caused a ruckus. <laughs> yeah, a skirmish. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> a brouhaha. Brouhaha. <laughs> I would say a, a fracas. A rhubarb. <laughs> this is what I was looking for. A rabbit hole up here. I know. I, I, hey, I, I hey. don't say fracas. I say fracas. A slobber knocker. Oh, oh. A, a slobber. <laughs> that's, that's Jim Ross from the, from WWE. Well, now I'm Googling fracas. Is it fracas, fracas. or fracas? It's fracas. It's fracas? <laughs> well, you know, we're never right. <laughs> we're almost 100% wrong. I believe it's fracas. Fracas, fracas. Fracas doesn't sound right. 704. Five, fracas eight. sounds like Fraggle Rock. It does. <laughs> it's fracas. Which, I know it is. Which makes it. Oh, got a word right. Leave it alone. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, guys. Hold on, let me turn. Oh, what do you do? Like some Spanish pronunciation? No. They'll... <laughs> fracas. See, he said fracas. No, we said fracas. We I know. Fracas. No, no, no. The, the dictionary.com said I know, fracas. Oh, <laughs> that, took, that guy told me it was Gazpacho, too, when it was a soup. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 commercials. Maybe, 
<laughs> AI is getting it wrong. So what I just learned from Dictionary.com, guys, is the um, there are two pronunciations, fracas and fracas. No, no, it's not no. fracas. It's not fracas. No, Nobody, it really is. That's like people say tomato. Nobody says tomato <laughs> or piano. Right. No one says no one piano. Says, well, one person says uh, piano. All right. Fracas. Right? Fracas. 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 Fracas rock. And you said fracas, right? I said fracas. I would go with fracas. Down at Fraggle Rock. <laughs> All right. It's like a game show. How do you pronounce this word? Down at Fraggle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, you've never heard of Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock. He no, had I've never, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Because in the commercial break, I was like, you know, my favorite part of Fraggle Rock was the little tiny, teeny, tiny people that looked like thumbs that wore hard hats and built things. Yeah, and, and what thought, were their names? What? Oh, gosh. What were, were they names? like the Dig the do- Dugs? The, do- the Doozers? The Doozers. Is that right? I think it's the Doozers. So they didn't have eyes. And they just wore these teeny, tiny little top hats. Yeah. And they built little clear buildings that the Fraggles would eat. Uh, it should also be noted, he's out of the room at the moment, but Zoki's never seen Fraggle Rock. Well, I think said. he was too old, maybe. He's heard of it, but he's never... And here's the thing about Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock, you could only see it if you had HBO. HBO. Oh, yeah. that's why. And yep. there was a big old hairy guy that was like a giant... He looks like one of the Fry Guys, but he was a gigantic... He was gigantic. Remember, he had the big nose and all the hair... And he was normal sized, and then the Fraggles were down in the cave, and then the Doozers were the teeny tiny thumbs with the hats on. And the main characters of the show were Red and Gobo. Oh, remember I forgot Gobo? their names. Yep. And then remember Gobo. the dog? The remember the dog? dog. And then remember yes. the trash heap? No. You don't remember the trash heap? Is that the big guy that I'm thinking no, of? No, 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 no. I, I can't remember his name. But the trash heap is like this all knowledgeable. Heap of trash they would go talk to. So the oracle was a garbage yeah, hill? <laughs> essentially, if, I, if I'm if i remembering it right, I think I am. This is what I, nightmares are made of. I well, feel not, like we need to... Look at this. We need to make Bernie watch Fraggle Rock I, now. I, I, well, see, we have a new segment that uh, we're trying to, to get up and running called Weekdays at Bernie's. And, and this resulted from Bernie telling us one day that he'd never seen Revenge of the Nerds. But really the thing, Revenge of the Nerds is kind of... It hasn't aged well. But... It, no. <laughs> no. It has not. <laughs> but but then he also said in the same uh, segment that day that he uh, did not know what the fish under the sea dance was, which is much more egregious. Well, because it's, mean, it's really you wouldn't have known it even if they said the enchantment under the sea. You wouldn't have known that either. No, and no, we no. and we did say that that day. In fact, yeah, yeah, we, we say did, under we the sea. I think of Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. sorry, that's, that's a problem. I feel we, bad. we have to rectify this. Is so, man, man card. Does it take away man card? But does, does this mean I was a kid? I was a kid. When I was but you've kid. never seen Back to the Future all the way through. Not all the way through. Yeah, see but that? I have I've definitely watched Back to the Future, you know, bits and pieces of it. But if you I like but, I like Back to the Future. But if Enchantment Under the Sea doesn't ring a bell for you, then you haven't seen it enough. No. Right. Right, right. Right, right, right. Cuz as soon as they said Fish Under the Sea, even though that's not the name of the dance, it's what the daughter says the name yeah. of the dance is when they're sitting uh-huh. at the dinner table together at the beginning of the movie, right? Is mm-hmm. it the beginning? The yeah, near it. Near the beginning. Before he goes back in time. Yeah. It's the fish under the sea dance. Yeah, right. the dad took mom, then he fell and bumped his. You know how it goes. Yeah. But, but see, you need to you need to watch that. But then we 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 just we decided that uh, we we have him watch Twins with uh, because of the Super Bowl commercial. Right, because Bernie just thought that that Danny DeVito just showed up in that commercial for no yeah. reason. It's just, I just Danny it was, DeVito. I just thought it was great. 
you know, because they're just polar opposites in terms of size. Right. I was just like, this is awesome. Which and is why like, they're, twi- they're in the movie Twins. You that's why the it? movie's so great, because they're they play twins and it's Danny DeVito and, 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 and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's great. And Kelly Preston's in that movie, too. <laughs> yeah, Kelly um, Preston is in that movie. But now we're now we realize you're going to have to go watch Fraggle Rock, too, because Fraggle Rock, even though like I, I watched it on HBO that I technically didn't have, but it, it came in well enough that you could see it. You could see Same it. thing with anything in the 80s and HBO. My parents didn't pay for HBO, but it came in on Channel 7 when the reception was having a good day. Or I went to a friend's house and they got HBO, but I saw it's like I didn't have a Nintendo when I was growing up. It's on Apple I, TV. What? Uh, Fraggle, Fraggle Rock? Rock. Okay. <gasps> well, there you go. And I have it. So. Well, well then, you got it. And it, they're, they're short episodes, so go, go watch one episode tonight and just tell Emma just, you work with weird people. Um, but I'm, I, I want to see, see what you think of that. Because, look, in all honesty, it, to me, it's from the golden era of Jim Henson and the Muppets. Uh, I mean, the Muppets were best when Jim Henson was alive and he was behind everything, and he was behind that show, too. Mm-hmm. So again, if you go back and you watch classic Sesame Street, classic Muppets, classic Fraggle Rock, you can tell that about every voice was done by maybe three or four people. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's how that's how they were. Well, and I, I I don't even remember a lot of any of the Fraggle Rock except the teeny tiny thumb people, which you would imagine would be my favorite things because I love teeny tiny miniature anything. I love anything in miniature, and these were teeny tiny little guys in in hats with no eyeballs and teeny tiny little noses. And we were going to do a heck of a. Uh, political segment here. I know. We um, actually were going to talk politics, and instead we're talking about the doozers. Yeah, I, I just looked it up. It is The doozers was right. I, they don't have eyes, right? They have no uh, eyes, and they have little hats on, and these little button noses. No, they have eyes. Oh, they have eyes? It's like a mole. Yeah. Like a mole. I feel like they didn't have eyes. Well, see, if you look at one thing, I'm, th- their helmets come down over their eyes. Oh, that could be why I didn't think so they had it's eyes. It's kind of like the Jawa effect. The Jawa, you can see the eyes, but nothing else. Um, it's like the Sia effect. It's like Sia. Maybe they had stage fright. Maybe that was the whole issue. They didn't want to see the cameras. But I just loved them because they were teeny tiny and then the Fraggles would eat their buildings. And it was always sad that the Fraggles would eat their buildings, but apparently they were like sugar sticks to the Fraggles. Sounds destructive. It it is. It is because they just kept building them and then the Fraggles would eat them. The final thing for you. Do you remember what the dog's name was? The dog. So, so it's funny. I don't remember the dog. I remember the big hairy man. Wasn't there a no, big no, no, hairy no, no, no. man? No, no, no. I'm talking about the. Remember the older man who lived in the house and he had a dog, and then the dog would see the the fraggles, but the old man would never see oh, him. Oh, he couldn't see them. Yes, yeah. and it was what? a real dog. It yeah. wasn't a puppet dog. It was a real dog. Was a real Do you remember dog. what the dog's name was? Mm, old Yeller. Wishbone. No, no, no. I remember like it was yesterday. Sprocket, what are you looking at in that pipe over there? Was he British? No, that that wasn't a British accent. Yeah, Sprocket, what are you looking at over there? That kind of sounded British in the beginning. Yeah, I thought I was like, man, did I just forget? Just a little bit in the beginning. Did I forget the dude wasn't that was he was no, British? That was, that was Sprocket. I wasn't trying to Sprocket? go for it. What are you looking at over there? That was what, that's not what I sounded like. I didn't go Sprocket. Look into the corner of the room. You kind of did. No, see, that, see, you're getting in my head now. I'm going to go play the piano in the corner. <laughs> All right. When we come back, I promise we will get to politics. We're going to talk a, politics. There's a lot to talk talk about from uh, from Sunday or Saturday night, and then of course tomorrow is Michigan, and a week from tomorrow is Super, Super Tuesday. Tuesday. And boy, was it a doozer of a weekend. Boy, I, I'm not going to touch that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm just so 
glad there's someone going to be staying in the house while I'm gone. Yes, well, well, Sprocket and I, he's my dog, Sprocket, we're certainly delighted to be renting the place. We've been wanting to spend a nice, quiet Christmas in the country. You've come to the right place. He doesn't sound now like he's from... Actually, he does, he does. kind of sound, does British. sound British. Yeah, slightly British. Which makes your impersonation even better. Spot on, Bo. Yeah. So shame on us for, for saying... I have to really quickly share a story from Maddie, one of our listeners. She sent a message at, DM, at GMBTShow at WBT.com. She said, good morning, I have a funny or sad story. My first boyfriend told me that Bob Seger was singing... Fraggle Rock, not like a rock. So all during my junior year in high school, I was going around singing Fraggle Rock to Bob Seger until my tennis coach set me straight. And to this day, when it comes on the radio, I cannot stop singing Fraggle Rock to it. So Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock. That's fantastic. On the radio. We're on the radio. Here we go. Sometimes late at night. (laughs) Oh, when I'm bathed in the firelight. Moon comes calling a ghostly way. <laughs> and I recall. I just think of Chevrolet. I right recall. Fraggle Rock. Stand an arrow straight. Like a We got that out of our system. Oh. <laughs> Maddie, I love you. All right. Down at Fraggle Rock. Down at Fraggle Rock, indeed. What even were... Oh, I know what we were going to do. I know what we were going to do. We were going to talk about the fact that there was a huge primary that happened over the weekend in South Carolina, and nearly 25% of the popu- of the voting population showed up to vote. Actually, it was about 23.3%. And... Donald Trump was victorious. That's right. As you look at the numbers from Saturday night, 59.8% to 39.5% for Nikki Haley. Now, most thought she needed to hit the 40% threshold. That's within striking distance, obviously, but not quite there. This is President Trump, who wasted no time coming out and declaring victory. I believe it was 7 o'clock 30 when he hit the stage. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was... An even bigger win than we anticipated, and I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. So that's pretty good. So it's a record times two, and it's an early evening and a fantastic. You can all go down and you can celebrate for about 15 minutes, and we have to get back to work because the big date. The big day, you know, Michigan's coming up, we're doing great. The auto workers are going to be with us 100% because they got sold out by this country. But Michigan's up and uh, we're going to have a tremendous success there. And then we have a thing called Super Tuesday. And uh, I think we're leading 91 to 7 overall. Super Tuesday is one week from tomorrow. Michigan is tomorrow. Nikki Haley's already in Michigan. And uh, Trump, we now know, is going to hold a rally in North Carolina this coming Saturday, uh, 2 p.m. at the Greensboro Coliseum. 
Uh, so that's uh, that. You know, he's he's already looking towards uh, Super Tuesday and North Carolina figuring into that uh, in a big way, obviously. Yeah, of course. Now, one of the one of the big talking points for Nikki Haley as she looked at the numbers that came in from South Carolina was the fact that she did get nearly forty percent of the vote. So she used that as a talking point as she continued her campaign, saying, "Hey, we're not going to stop." There are 40% of the people in South Carolina who didn't want Donald Trump. So therefore, unless he changes his message, they are looking for an alternative. And she believes that that's who she is. However, just overnight, some bad news for her came in um, the Coke uh, money train, if you will, that that had been backing, helping back the Nikki Haley campaign financially. They've decided to stop helping financially, saying, hey, we just don't see a path forward. Um, And that's, of course, Charles Coke. That, uh, that runs that. It's the Americans for Prosperity-backed uh, group that has, as you say, pulled its funding. And this is what uh, the pundits have been saying yeah. to look out for as to how long she can keep this up. This was Nikki Haley, as promised, on Saturday night. There are huge numbers of voters in our Republican primaries who are saying they want an alternative. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. I'm not giving up this fight when a majority of Americans disapprove of both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. South Carolina has spoken. We're the fourth state to do so. In the next 10 days, another 21 states and territories will speak. They have the right to a real choice. Not a Soviet-style election with only one candidate. And I have a duty to give them that choice. We can't afford four more years of Biden's failures or Trump's lack of focus. Now, here's one other thing of note here, Beth Troutman. Uh, We talked to uh, Pat McCrory last week, who's one of the co-chairs of No Labels nationally. And we asked him, what about the idea of Nikki Haley being a a third-party candidate? He did not think that there's a road for that because of rules in various states. Yeah, they're called sore loser laws in states that would keep prohibit her from being able to get the number of electoral college votes that she would need. Now, Mick Mulvaney is going to be with us in the uh, 9 o'clock hour to talk about uh, all of this and more, as always. Now, he's also connected with No Labels. And then the national director of No Labels, his name is Joe Cunningham, was on with Will Kane on Fox. Uh, and he, uh, this was yesterday morning. There's been conversation, there's been speculation about Nikki Haley as a potential No Labels candidate. There's also a lot of talk about Joe May. Mansion, Mitt Romney, who will be your candidate on the No Labels ticket? <laughs> well, I mean, the truth is we're talking to a lot of spectacular people right now, and we're not ready to unveil those folks just yet. Uh, this has been a project uh, to essentially give Americans another choice if they're unhappy with the presumptive nominees, which, you know, it appears is going to be Trump versus Biden right now. But we don't know. Nikki Haley, she's going to remain in the race. You can't count her out completely. Uh, and hats off to her for staying in it and for sticking with it. But 
We're looking for great quality people, folks that have broad appeal to independents, Democrats, Republicans. And, um, and yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley is somebody we'd, we'd definitely be interested in. And what's your timeline in selecting a candidate? So, so, so that's interesting because I, I don't, you know, I, we talked to various people connected with no labels and we're getting different, different uh, responses. So uh, <laughs> to be continued, I guess. I know. When I heard that, I was also the same thing. My jaw dropped because I thought I just had a conversation about this mm-hmm. and I thought this wasn't a possibility. So here we go. It's Good Morning BT with Bo and Beth. Now. How often do you return things online? I, I feel like every time I shop for especially something like clothes or shoes, I inevitably have at least one item that needs to be returned. Because you can't try stuff on if you're shopping for it online. So oftentimes, you know, I'll order... They say something from Ann Taylor and two of the pairs of pants will fit and the third mm-hmm. one won't. So then it won't. So then I will go into maybe the brick and mortar store, return that pair of pants and maybe try on a different size or exchange that pair of pants. But it's pretty frequent that at least one or two items don't work and I have to return them. In 2023, people returned $743 billion worth of merchandise. That's wow. huge. That's a huge amount of merchandise. Now, we're building towards uh, the Atlantic reports that there are, and I have several examples now, and I'm, I'm curious as to anybody uh, listening has dealt with this yet. I haven't seen this, but if this is true, it is going to affect how I operate because, I, look, I, I buy a lot of hats and I buy a lot of sports apparel, and fanatics.com is a, is a place I do business with a lot. But uh, as it relates to hats, Anybody who goes up and buys hats, Bernie, you know this. You're wearing a hat right now. Yes, sir. Um, you know, a hat can be a certain size of the the, the stretch fit hats. You know, and, and I always get the, the size that's the, the the large, extra large. But that can wildly vary, even with the same hat. Like I'll go to a hat store and I'll try six versions of the same hat on, and all six of them will be different sizes. Yeah. So but you then, like the fitted hat, though? Yeah. Well, when I buy the fitted hat, I buy. You know, I'm, I'm a. I buy all kinds of hats, Bernie, but as you know. But but my point here is, and you can translate this to anything, you know, you gotta try things on. And a lot of times you can find things online that you can't find at the brick and mortar place. So the only way to get that is to order it. But you know going into it that odds are you're gonna be returning that because it's not gonna fit. Because it's not gonna fit. And it, it, according to this Atlantic article, online shoppers who return things are almost as frequent as they return things almost as frequently as they place their orders. And get this, online retailers, many that built free returns into their business strategy, they finally seem to be reaching their limit. Now sites like ASOS and Sense, I don't know what those two sites are, it sounds like they're clothing sites, they're handing out lifetime shopping bans to longtime shoppers that they determine have returned too much stuff too often. So it's not just that you can't return things anymore. You can't use the website. You can't you can't buy things online anymore. Like a lifetime ban. And the crazy thing about it is what constitutes quote too much too often can be vague. None of the brands mentioned this in their stories at all. So people and it's they have their free return policy listed on their website, but no one knows what the criteria actually is. Nothing is listed as to what makes 
too many returns too frequently. I understand. I mean, I really think it's a bad policy, but uh, I could envision, you know, you, you return things too much. If it's excessive, they say, OK, you can't return things anymore or they're going to attack on an, an, uh, uh, an excessive or, or, or at least an additional price. Or like a restocking fee. But to say you can't shop here anymore. You can't shop here because you've returned too much. I will tell you. So I love to buy stuff on Amazon. I think we all do that because you can get same day delivery or overnight delivery. Well, if you go to return, I used to go to like Kohl's to return it, but now they have a Whole Foods return. Mm-hmm. And I went and it was just like this kiosk where you <laughs> sounds s- funny. You scan a QR code and then you put your stuff in a little plastic bag with a label and you drop it in a bucket or yeah. you like drop it in a little like it looks like the old like a mailbox or, or the ups store takes uh, re- returns like that too yeah you go put it on the little bin in the middle and, and and they'll they'll ship it yes well there was a woman in front of me that was returning it felt like a billion items and she mm-hmm. would return and then and, and the line was backing up through whole foods because she was taking so long and she <laughs> would stop and say like i'll let you come return your item and then she'd jump back in and return 10 more it had to have been a billion things and i was wondering does amazon ever say no more lady you can't return all these items well i am curious uh, 704-570-1110 have you ever shopped somewhere online that said because you return stuff too much you can't shop here anymore. Yes, who You're banned. doesn't? I also am sitting here laughing at thinking of returning items at Whole Foods. At Whole Foods. <laughs> and you know what it did? I I ended up going to the salad bar and, and buying. They have this giant, these giant bean salad things that they have. So good. And the beans are like the size of my face. And I did go buy it. And it was like $11 for this tiny little thing of beans. But they totally got me in to return my Amazon mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. That's that's the, uh, what do they call it in the in the checkout aisle that they, they get you to buy? Um, I want to see that giant bean. Oh. It was, it's the biggest bean I've ever seen in my whole life, but it's delicious. <laughs> All right. Go plant it and grow a stalk. Yeah. That's right. Oh, I bet I could find some giants. <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. This is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. Monday morning in the Tyboid Studio. Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, Jim Zoki, Bernie Bowles. Coming up uh, one hour from now, we'll uh, talk to former Governor Pat McCrory. Uh, his day is usually Wednesday, but we're going to talk to him because uh, of, of the fact that we learned that Lynn Wheeler passed away uh, over the weekend at the age of 80. A uh, longtime uh, member of city council. She was mayor pro tem and uh, one of the uh, most notably associated people with uh, the push for the uh, Uptown Arena that the Charlotte Hornets, who now are on a tear. We have to say that, right? Yes. I mean, they are on a tear, relatively speaking, to where they were early in the season. They won again last night, as you just heard. But uh, the Charlotte Hornets playing in that arena uptown, if Lynn Wheeler is not in the mix, uh, that may not be the case. Well, and it was originally the Bobcats arena. It was right. built for the uh, the Bobcats uh, back. Well, I've just said it. I just repeated that twice. Hey, no, guys, it was the Bobcats arena. Well, and and back, Bob if, you, Johnson. if you remember, um, now, if I remember correctly, 
Uh, back when there was the push after the Hornets had left and they were entertaining groups to bring a team to Charlotte, there was the Bob Johnson-led effort. There was yep. also a guy named Steve Belkin uh, who had teamed with Larry Bird and some other uh, notable NBA former players that were uh, heading up another effort that Lynn Wheeler uh, was more closely aligned with them than she was with Bob Johnson. In the end, Bob Johnson uh, is the, the one that ended up buying the team and bringing the team to town. But but the, 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 the arena itself being built uh, was an effort that Lynn Wheeler was was firmly behind. Well, and it was controversial at the time because they had a referendum and, and the people voted it down, didn't want the, the arena uptown because we were all, I think, emotionally connected to the new Coliseum out on Tyvola. And even though it got voted down, it still got built. Yeah. And so there's the arena vote. I mean, you know, in the heyday of Pat McCrory as mayor, uh, Lynn Wheeler was very much part of that dais as well. And she was, uh, you know, mayor pro tem. In fact, uh, Lynn Wheeler's uh, Twitter handle to the, you know, she she passed away uh, over the weekend, but her Twitter handle to this day says Mayor Pro Tem. <laughs> that, 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 I mean, she was uh, very closely associated with those days and, and uh, loved to talk about those days. And the days after she was a, a city council member and a member of local government, she became uh, an election night analyst for us. Mm-hmm. I know she was in here the first few years that I was uh, heading up the coverage after I came back. Uh, she used to do a, 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 a a regular segment with Pete Callender when he had his uh, evening show, and um, so she was just um, sort of an ever ever present person out there, even after she wasn't in office anymore. And it's really sort of hard to believe. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I think the last time I said earlier she was on the show was 2017 uh, on this show. But I mean, she showed up on the on the station in various places. Uh, her health had been in decline in recent years, and we learned that she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on Thursday of last week. And now you see how fast things uh, mm-hmm. uh, happen the way that they did. Um, but you know, um, just one of those people that for a, an era, the, the the late 90s and the early 2000s, you can't tell the political story in Charlotte and not uh, have Lynn Wheeler part of that. Right. She was a four. And a, a force to be reckoned with, and she's you know, was responsible for you know, that arena itself was responsible for a, a big portion of the revitalization of the of the uptown area and what brought what was the epicenter at the time and a lot of foot traffic and a, a, a lot of people to the uptown area, and quite frankly, you know the change to uptown from downtown. She uh, she served as vice chairman of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Development Corporation. She was the chairman of the uh, Carolinas Urban Coalition. Chaired the mayor's regional light rail uh, task force. Uh, so, I mean, I, and I'm actually I'm reading off of off of the bio on her page that she wrote it was the she did this she had lynnwheeler.com but she also launched a, an effort uh, back in 2017 called word on the street mm-hmm. that was the name of her of her segment when she went on with Pete Callender and she sort of took that phrase at Lynn uh, I, I posted yesterday when I le- learned about her passing I said uh, Lynn loved the political scuttlebutt mm-hmm. <laughs> she loved to talk about the movers and the shakers and who's saying this and what's going on there and like I said that 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 was very evident when she was in office, but uh, she still loved when she was out of office to talk about what was going on. I mean, she became really good friends with Lawana Mayfield. 
Uh, Lawana Mayfield, longtime Democrat member of city council, uh, is back on city council at large now. But uh, those are not two that you would necessarily think would become fast friends. But it goes to show you that uh, Lynn could reach beyond the political aisle when she needed to and understood that it's not always just about party affiliation. You know, you have to forge relationships with people on both sides of the aisle to get stuff done or else things are just going to sit at a stalemate. Right. It kind of reminds me of um, the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Scalia, you know, being two besties that did stuff together, including even things like going to the gym. And they were very aware of their political differences, but also very aware of the humanity that existed between them. So uh, we'll talk more about uh, the legacy of Lynn Wheeler. Uh, She uh, passed away uh, this weekend. Pat McCrory is going to join us in the uh, 8 o'clock hour. And we're also going to talk to Garrison, too, about his memories. But, um, yeah, that was a shocker. I I, uh, hadn't been that long ago that I traded messages with Lynn Wheeler. and, um, and, and, And the other thing I'll say about Lynn... Never a dull moment with Lynn Wheeler. Oh, I mean, <laughs> so true. She was the life of the party and had a number of – she used to have a, a holiday party at her house every year. And she would invite everybody, you know, all the movers and shakers. And uh, she Did also – uh, I never went. No, I never went. Um, but she also had these uh, – she would she would have various – it's something we could talk to uh, Kenny Smith about because I know he attended some of these. But she used to have these dinners at her house she would call the Four Walls Dinners. Where you know you'd come and agree that whatever was said would stay be stay inside these four walls, but that's what I'm saying. Lynn liked to talk about what was going on out there behind the scenes. What are people saying? So I kind of want to be a fly on one of those four wall dinners. Yeah, back in the day, well, that's what one of us needed to be. So I know I would have <laughs> had to have been a fly to get invited. We were talking earlier about Fraggle Rock, Practice Rock. At this point, if you're saying, why would you talk about Fraggle Rock? You should know that about us by now. Right. Why wouldn't we talk about why wouldn't Fraggle we? Rock? And it all came from the, the idea, is it fracas or fracas? How do you pronounce the word? And then it led us down a Fraggle Rock rabbit hole. Fraggle, Fraggle. Fraggle Rock. Well, I said at the time that Fraggle Rock was uh, on HBO in its early days. So the only time I saw Fraggle Rock was when I was... You know, just lucky enough to get the reception in the screen was good enough uh, on Channel 7 or I would go to somebody else's house who had HBO and mm-hmm. I would see Fraggle Rock. So you were stealing HBO. Uh, I was not stealing the, the cable company. Just to, it, mm. ha- it happened to show up. It's just a he, funny sentence that Bo had to go to a friend's house to watch Fraggle Rock. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can talk about he, liked, he loved it that much. I can talk about movies the, the older I got, but we won't do that right now. Um, I only saw Fraggle Rock because the the episodes were like fifteen minutes long, and they always had them smushed in above like the eight o'clock movie, mm-hmm. whatever. Like with Back to the Future was coming on, I would watch Fraggle Rock before Back to the Future just so that I didn't miss the yeah. HBO theme song, the banana. Na, 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 na. That's all I really wanted to see. Well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Okay, yes. good, good. And good. so we were talking about watching. Like I said earlier, uh, I'd never had a Nintendo as a kid, but I had so many friends who did. I felt like I had a Nintendo. I probably yeah. played their Nintendos more than they did. And the reason is, I was always over at my friends' houses and often sleeping over. Well, yeah, it's a big part of growing up. We had sleepovers, like sleepover birthday parties, sleepovers with your best friends, sleepovers, you know. Friday night, get together, brush each other's hair. I mean, this is in middle. Okay, this the, is third, in the third one, I never knew that one. <laughs> yeah, I never did that one. The preschool. This was not preschool, but like kindergarten. Just I'd, back hair. 
<laughs> Y'all used to braid each other's Preschool back hair. Preschool back hair. <laughs> yes. While he watched Kids All the hormones in the chicken and the milk. <laughs> hey, we had a sleepover this summer. We, now, yeah. now, now, don't start thinking anything. We all had our own rooms. Yeah, we did all have our own rooms, but we, we went all had to our the own beach. cars. We did. That's true. That's, true. <laughs> That's exactly right. We were all together separately. We, we all <laughs> went in a, a caravan van and stopped at Bucky's, and they had no water. And then we went to your dad's place, and it, it was big enough that we had all had our own rooms. But technically, we had a the show had a sleepover this we summer. We did. We have a we had a Good Morning BT sleepover. Carly Pearson in USA Today writes: uh, As a parent, my eight year old daughter got her first sleepover. Over invite. There's no way she's going. And this freaked me out. The great slumber party debate. Sleepovers are now a touchy subject. It can end friendships and create animosity among family members. I've seen more than one parent take serious offense to a sleepover offer rejected by another parent. Like so many other issues, even something that might seem as ordinary as, well, breastfeeding. I'm not sure why that's in there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Once the debate is taken to the Wait, internet, what? things get really nasty really quickly. So apparently there is a nasty debate about sleepovers. I didn't even know that this was something that parents weren't just totally in for. I thought all parents thought, yes, send my kid to a sleepover. We get an adult date night. You know, we get mm-hmm. free child care. Everybody takes the sleeping bag. You take your bag of Doritos or your box of Oreos or whatever. You go to your friend's house. Everybody stays up until three o'clock in the morning watching, you know, dumb cartoons and weird movies and you paint each other's fingernails and like we again the last one no but yes all, all the other stuff <laughs> you know you do you do the fun like tell each other ghost stories and put the flashlight under your chin and play in the yard together it's like one of those rites of passage in my memory at least i mean we did i feel like i went to hundreds of sleepovers now, humble brag <laughs> you got a lot yes, of friends. I was, I was friends growing up. Hundreds. I was probably under a hundred total. <laughs> you know, one of the waiting. I had a lot of free time. <laughs> no parenting. So one of the I, my, that's like I had to turn down sleepovers because I had so many offers. <laughs> my calendar was so full. Y'all are so mean. My, my friend Lois. Ellen. You haven't denied it though. <laughs> my friend Lois Ellen had a birthday sleepover, and she had this cool like swing set that her dad made outside and it had a seesaw and we were walking on the seesaw kind of back and forth and of course I was being silly and like flung my hands up in the air and there was a tree right there and I knocked down a beehive and like eight bees landed on my arm and stung me and it's how I learned I was allergic to bees because my arm swelled up like I had blown air into a rubber glove. Okay, this is going to tell me everything. Well, first of all, are you, you're not a, are, are you allergic to, to bees? Well, it turns out I'm allergic to them, but not enough that I needed like an EpiPen. That, okay. They just called my mom and said, "Hey, she's she's got a bunch of bee stings," and my mom said, "I ah, just rubbed okay. some tobacco on it." Well, that was my tobacco. question. They did. They rubbed snuff on it. Snuff. That, yeah, snuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but but my question was, did you stay or did you have to go home oh, because of this? I stayed. Right, like so. I was I was plowing through the pain because I was not going to miss ghost stories and light as a feather, stiff as a board. Same here. I wanted to play my Nintendo that wasn't mine, that was somebody yeah. else's, and I wanted to watch HBO. Oh, well, so I don't I even remember not. HBO or Nintendo. I don't know that girls were playing a lot of video games, but I think we played Man, Tetris. Man, you missed out on all that? I think were, we played you Tetris. You were coming here and painting nails. We were painting nails and brushing <laughs> each other's hair. Uh, real quick, Aaron's on line one. Aaron, welcome to Good Morning BT. 
Hey, good morning. Thanks hey, Aaron. for uh, keeping the Charlotte Metro awake this morning. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. talking about yeah. sleepovers. <laughs> I, I did want to say, you know, unfortunately, there is a very dark side to sleepovers. And I, I say that, you know, coming from, you know, uh, we run a, a, a therapy organization, a nonprofit in Fort Mill, and that dark side, unfortunately, only comes out usually years and years later because of uh, assault. And, I, you know, I won't say the word, but, you know, S.A. is very, very um, shockingly common. And so, and those, those issues don't come out usually until adulthood. They don't get reported until you what? get into therapy and then start realizing, oh, my goodness, this happened to me and I didn't even realize it was wrong. And so... If you have any connection with law enforcement or mental health counseling, you would know that's an absolute no. Um, so that's and that's kind of uh, become there's more awareness to that now. So what? I would just you know it's it's sad, but it's it's very very true. And uh, you know we um, the, the numbers would would alarm parents uh, with how common it is. Well, and, and oh, this is exactly gosh. why we asked the question, uh, is this article indicative of how times have changed or not changed? Now, that story, of course, changes everything. That changes the entire discussion. That that issue did not even enter my brain as a young person going to any yes. any group of sleepover any any sleepover party. No, I don't mean it changes that they can't happen anymore. But but what I wonder immediately wonder is uh, have the 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 number of occurrences of this kind of thing increased, increased. and is that what's feeding into uh, this whole mentality of the person who wrote this article? Because um, I mean, look, we're not naive enough to say that uh, back when we were kids, this kind of thing never happened. I'm I'm sure it could have happened anywhere. But if it did happen to you, then that completely understandably oh my and gosh, um, yes. emphatically changes how you view this kind of thing. That breaks my heart. And, and if you were born in the 70s and grew up in the 80s, like most of us you know, here listening, uh, you, you suppressed a lot of those experiences because you were taught you, know, you, don't, re- you don't report things. Uh, grown-ups are always right. And now, of course, 25, 35 years later, uh, children are taught, you know, even through schools, um, you speak up, right? And so uh, the speaking up is, is uh, it, was, it was that pervasive back then, uh, sadly, but uh, now we're just more aware of it because, mm-hmm. of course, social media and the awareness and the encouragement that we have is saying if something funny happens or whatever, you, 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 you tell a grown-up instead of keeping quiet. We were taught to keep quiet, right? Sit yeah. quiet in church, sit quiet in restaurants, all that. <laughs> but now, uh, you know, we, we teach kids you know, they sing songs even in public elementary schools, of course, if you, you know, if you have kids, you speak up, you know, stranger danger, all that kind of stuff. That didn't exist when we were kids, um, but it does now. Aaron, we got to go. Uh, thank you for the call so much. And this is exactly uh, the conversation we were looking to have um, because we're not here uh, trying to act like we know all the answers. But no. when a story like this comes up, you start to start questioning as to where it came from. And he now makes total know. sense. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten. Also, GMBT Show at WBT.com. We've been talking about sleepovers. 
columnist in USA Today says, sleepovers. Well, she said, my eight-year-old daughter got her first sleepover invite. There's no way she's going. So we were talking about remembering sleepovers when we were kids. Pretty much all of us, you know, had them. I mean, Beth had like tons of them. Hundreds, apparently. <laughs> Hundreds. Thousands, even. All saved, though. I mean, she had to turn away Invitations. That's just the ones you went to, not the ones she was invited. Yeah, which are the three should I go to? I'm sorry, I'm 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 triple booked tonight. <laughs> you guys. I didn't clarify. This was as a, as a child, right? No. <laughs> yes. No. Yes, as a that, child. That is a 30 year old. No, no, no. Definitely. But you just got a note, didn't you, from uh, about this? Well, I, I, we've been getting tons of messages from uh, listeners at GMBT Show at WBT.com. Uh, Kevin says, well, there's just not enough gluten-free snacks for sleepovers these days. <laughs> and make sure you have plenty of almond milk. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that was Kevin's uh, that was Kevin's comment. So let me say this, because, uh, you know, I, I've had I have uh, I have a college aged kid and a high school aged kid. So we went through childhood and they went to sleepovers. Uh, we didn't have any problem with them doing that. Now, uh, we had a caller at the end of last hour who had sort of the darker side of what could happen at a sleepover, understanding that uh, there can be a dark side of anything. So if, if you had that sort of situation where there was some sort of assault that happened, of course, that changes your mindset about, uh, 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 you know, allowing your kid to go anywhere. Right. Just you would about. be so fearful of can, le- letting your kids and uh, we had another message at GMBT show, GMBT show at WBT.com saying that he remembered sleepovers because they would go over to watch things like The Shining and Halloween, the, the movies that you couldn't watch as a, as a kid at your own home. You'd go to the sleepovers and you'd sneak those movies in the basement. Yeah, here's the HBO thing again yeah. um, or, or whatever else they had. Now, uh, I can tell you this, that one thing that comes into play today that it, obviously didn't come into play when we were coming up is cell phones when you go to sleepovers oh, like that. Oh, see that that scares me because then videos and pictures and everything will might end up posted if you have one person who is taking photos, taking videos or beyond that what you have access to with well, your phones. That terrifies me. I know uh, there there's some parents that um, would have a bowl that was sitting beside the table and you walk in the door. And if you if you were to participate in the sleepover, you had to drop your, your, your phone in the bowl for the whole time you were there. Like, in other words, the, the kids weren't allowed to be off in the house somewhere unsupervised with phones. With phones, which I think that is a fantastic rule. And See, this is one of those discussions that I can only approach from being a child going to sleepovers because I don't have children. This isn't ever a discussion or even an issue I've had to consider. And now after talking to Aaron and then thinking about you guys who are, you know, raised kids with cell phones and Bernie, who's about to bring a life into the world. And she's only going to know. um, Sorry, he's only going to know. Thank you. Yeah, you have you have a little boy. (laughs) Yes. she wasn't here that day. <laughs> a world of cell phones, you know, a world of technology. And yeah, I didn't get a cell phone until I got to high school. I mean, cell phones didn't even exist until yeah, no. I was in college. I didn't get one until after college. So all of my sleepover, t- you know, possibilities happened well. well there was before. no internet back then. No. I mean, there was like nowhere to even. No internet. I mean, you didn't even have like people like Bo didn't even have HBO. You didn't even have cable. Like there was, you had three channels. You barely got to see Fraggle Rock. And you mainly, (laughs) like if you had a sleepover, you mainly rode your bikes and played on swing sets and, you know, played 
Candyland. No, you know, like no I, technology was so much better. <laughs> I really think about it now with with rose colored glasses. And then you know, Aaron called in and said that there's this huge issue now with people having to report, even people from our generation that experienced it. And I am flabbergasted and heartbroken. And what is going on in the world that 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 anybody would think that that's an appropriate. Smartphones change everything because uh, when a kid walks into another house, you know, and and you could you could uh, compare this to other things, but the phone is just so omnipresent with all these kids. I mean, they almost all have them. Uh, or what if you send your kid to a sleepover and they're the only one who doesn't have a phone yet? Right, or and then when they get you, shamed. Or when you get there, you know, different kids have different rules about their phones. You know, I've been. I remember sleepovers where certain kids were allowed to have their phones with them all the time, uh, and then some kids were not allowed to take their phones. Some kids' parents wanted their kids to not have their phone taken away because what if there's an emergency? And God forbid you go back to what our friend was talking about at the end of last hour. You know, there's that idea, and we get into this conversation sometimes with whether or not kids should have their phones at school. There are parents that would say, I want my kids to have their phone in case there's an emergency. Well, what if something happens at a sleepover and your kid needs to needs to get a hold of their parents? Well, right. and I, but when, you, when you made a comment about phones, well, my first thought was, I'm going to drop my kid off at a house. I want to have, like, hey, is everything okay? Check in, mm-hmm. just text or whatever, and everything going okay? Just nothing alarming, but just to have that contact, to take that away from a parent who's not the host, right. is wrong. But isn't it funny that when we when we were kids, our parents had no way to get in touch with us except for the, the landline of the, the family you were staying with. You had that landline, and that was it. You know, And if you yeah. were out at Pizza Hut or Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza, which mm-hmm. is where you know, we might all go, or Daryl's, where you were working, uh-huh. you, know, like you didn't have access to, to your kids at, at, at all. And so I wonder, were our parents constantly stressed out? Were they constantly worried? Mine were not. No, I, I think <laughs> they were gone all day. I mean, I just think it was a cultural thing back yeah. then, where you just—I mean, obviously, bad things happened in that generation too. But it's like I don't think that was a normal expectation when your it, kids were and, gone. And it's not the same thing as looking the other way. It's just an, an, an a, a sort of. Uh, I don't know, a feeling of trust that you have. I think parenting must be more exhausting now and must mm-hmm. be much more difficult because it's constant. You don't get, you know, I think my mom loved it when we ate breakfast and then went out to play in the woods all day because well, she got her house cleaning done, like the stuff that she, because she was, she, that's the stuff she loved to do when we weren't in her way. But now, I guess the difference now is is there's an immediate record of everything yeah. versus uh, what we were talking about at the end of last hour, where it's not that it didn't happen, but it doesn't get reported until years later. Yeah. You know? Um, it's, That's man, terrifying it to is. me. Instead of smartphones, you just need to get the kids jitterbugs, like uh, like the older older The little flip phones with it. the gigantic numbers. Exactly. Oh. And you can't text on it. You just It's just for calls. Just for calling. Just a burner phone, you know? I mean, when we, were, when we were kids, we might actually go out in the backyard and play with actual jitterbugs. Yeah, and ladybugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Did you ever tie a string around a June bug and let it fly around your head? What is wrong with you? Yeah, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> no? Yeah, don't ever do that. What? Call PETA. You did what? one, you. Tie a string on a June bug? Uh, that's where you lost us. <laughs> <laughs> did no Seems one like no, do that? Nobody, just me. Just me. Just me. Was that just me? Did you, did you guys ever torture bugs with a string and <laughs> wave them around your head? No, it didn't kill them. They just would fly in a circle, and then you'd untie them, and they flew away. This is what happens when you have people competing for the rights to bring you to their sleepover. You know? All right, traffic. They all wanted me there because they knew what, what would the bugs. activities be? Yeah, that's right. Beth, <laughs> Beth, Beth will had, tie you up. Beth had the luxury of turning them down because <laughs> she had so many <laughs> options. News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo and Beth. 
time to cross the streams, AM and PM drive. Brett Winterbull, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Good to be with you. Crossing the Streams is brought to you by PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. I'm going to read uh, some of this statement that has gone public in the last half hour. Quote, it has been an honor and a privilege to serve. Some of my proudest accomplishments include firing Nancy Pelosi, winning the popular vote in 2022, creating an election integrity department, building the committee's first small-dollar grassroots donor program, and uh, she goes on to say, I've decided to step aside at our spring training on March 8th in Houston to allow our nominee to select a chair of their choosing. This is what has uh, just been said officially. Not a surprise, but now we know it's official with Ronna McDaniel stepping down as the RNC chair. Yeah, and look, this is uh, going to clear the way for uh, uh, pretty much a, a whole takeover of the uh, of the RNC uh, preparing for this upcoming uh, election. And so... Uh, we, we, we wait to see what the plan moving forward is because you still got to raise money. You still got to organize. You still got to have uh, staff in place. And, you know, let's let's see how this is all going to play out. When you heard or when you saw this headline that she was officially stepping down and, and, and made this statement, were you thinking, did this already happen? Like that was my I, yeah, first thought. I was yeah, like, yeah, did yeah. this already happen? Yeah, you're right. I mean, that I, I did think that because you know she. It's like they pre-announce and then they announce when they're gonna announce and then they announce. And uh, so this is this is like pulling a bandaid off really slowly. And really I, slowly. I, 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 I don't like it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's expected to be Michael Watley, and also the co-chair would be uh, would be uh, Laura Trump. And Trump mentioned that in South Carolina in his victory speech on Saturday night. Now, there has been talk, and, and Laura Trump's been pretty uh, forceful about saying that she wants to take all of the money raised and, 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 and pour that into reelecting Donald Trump. Um, and I wonder, like, if you're down the ticket, like we get Super Tuesday a week mm-hmm. from tomorrow, if you're down mm-hmm. the ticket in some of these other races, um, that's not necessarily what you're wanting to hear, is it? You want some of that money yeah. to go around. Yeah, and and you need that. You need that in certain races that are that are close, and it can make a difference uh, for somebody to to knock off an incumbent. So, I, I the idea of it's all going to go to the the presidential race. Oh, okay, then what happens when you've got uh, you know nobody in the House and nobody in the Senate that's going to be able to fight for you? Right. Well, let's talk about what happened in South Carolina over the weekend. Of course, we know that Donald Trump got nearly sixty percent of the votes in the South Carolina primary. Uh, Nikki Haley got nearly forty percent of the vote. But one of the big talking points that happened over the weekend post the South Carolina primary was Joe Cunningham on Fox and Friends talking about. No labels and and the fact that she would be an interesting idea for no labels. You had brought that up last week or maybe two weeks ago, and it had been shot down by some of the no labels people that we're connected to here. But it looks like it's back on the table. Well, uh, here's here's the challenge on this no labels thing. Um, if if she decides to go no labels and Joe Biden gets reelected, uh, I think anybody anybody whether it's uh, the former governor whether it's Joe Lieberman, whether it's anybody else, they're going to get the mass blame uh, in that regard. So I would I would uh, I would be very careful about going down that road. But certainly her options are, are wide open. Joe Cunningham might run for president. She might run for vice president. They may be a co-presidency. Who knows? And uh, Joe Cunningham is a, is a charming man. Uh, let's stay with uh, Haley for a second here. The Koch brothers, uh, backing the group Americans yeah. for Prosperity, have pulled their funding. Yep. And, and, and here's the first shoe to drop post-South Carolina defeat. 
Uh, and, and, and you keep hearing, Nikki Haley can go as long as these donors will fund her. Well, this is a big one that's dropping off. So what the Koch brothers are going to do uh, and AFP is going to do is they're going to say, OK, uh, we're not going to fund Nikki Haley, but we're going to fund a bunch of moderate conservatives, you know, like Mitt Romney style. Right. Because what they cannot uh, afford to have is more uh, Gateses, uh, more of those people that that are, are just super loyal to Donald Trump. They need something else to get in there. And that's that's where the Koch brothers are going to come. The Koch brothers are, you know, they, they are, quote, conservative, but they are also people that 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 don't necessarily buy into MAGA. Well, and that's one of the big questions I think that they or that uh, Charles Koch has raised is after this four year period, if yeah. Donald Trump is elected, you right. know, he's a lame duck as soon mm-hmm. as he is elected. Mm-hmm. So then what? Then where does all of this go? Uh, you know, who then what then is the Republican Party post Trump? It's Ron DeSantis. It's it's Ron DeSantis at that point because Ron DeSantis is playing ball. He's doing it in the appropriate way at this stage of the game. He's still fighting for his state, and he's got to to play out this uh, this you know this term. So I, I think that's I think that's what the Republican Party uh, ends up looking like with uh, with a, a heavy dose of MAGA still present. But um, you know you got a you got a, a lot of races between here and now here and there and, and, and Gavin Newsom is running around saying that Joe Biden's giving everybody a master class. Woo! Well, and you did see uh, Ron DeSantis slowly start to reemerge last week. You know, oh, show, yeah. shows up in South Carolina. I mean, the the wheels are turning once yes. again. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the wheels turning, got three o'clock this afternoon. Yep. Uh, what's coming up on the Brett Winterbull show? A uh, lot, lot of stuff moving out here, including but not limited to uh, looking back at South Carolina, looking forward to Super Tuesday, and uh, a, a lot of questions are swirling about what's going to happen in Michigan, not necessarily on the Republican side, but on the Democrat side. Are they going to turn out for Biden, uh, given the, uh, the drama with, uh, w- with Hamas? We'll talk to you this afternoon. Thanks, guys. Brett Winterbull there. We're going we're gonna to take the, uh, the magnifying glass and go hyper-local when we come back and talk about the legacy of uh, a Charlotte politician, uh, once was Mayor Pro Tem, Governor Pat McCrory, will be with us to remember Lynn Wheeler. It's almost 8 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, this is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. News Talk 1110 WBT, Bo and Beth here on a Monday morning. One of the uh, local headlines today, a sad one from the political realms and and really just uh, being a charlatan. The name... Lynn Wheeler, who uh, was just a, uh, I've heard it said, a political dynamo. That's a, I think that's an applicable phrase. Uh, she was a power player in the 90s and early 2000s. And, uh, you know, you knew we were going to talk to our next guest today because uh, he has many, many memories of being on that dais as mayor of Charlotte. And uh, Lynn Wheeler was mayor pro tem. And uh, Governor Pat McCrory, good morning to you. Hey guys, how are you doing? I am. Uh, yeah, I was just shocked and saddened by uh, Lynn's, uh, Lynn's passing. It was a total surprise, and, and in fact, from a personal standpoint, I'm kind of upset at myself for not staying in touch with her during the past several years. And and um, you know, this community lost a giant as far as a uh, leader who 
had an impact on a lot of decisions in our city and, and had a unique personality that was second to none. And, of course, I had a working relationship with her uh, since 1989 when we were both elected to Charlotte City Council at the same time. She in District 6, I believe, and me as an at-large representative. So we sat next to each other uh, in many, many, many hours of uh, city council meetings and had so much interaction and a lot of laughs, uh, some tough times, under pressure. But uh, I admire her and uh, wish her and her family the best. Now, as you're thinking about her today and all of those years that you worked together, uh, you know, she, like you said, had a personality that was second to none. She was known to have a wicked sense of humor. Do you have a favorite story that um, might, you know, lighten the hearts of people that are, are, are grieving this morning and thinking about the loss of her voice and and the loss of the the leadership that she provided this community? Is there something that, a, a memory that you can share that, that might fill people's hearts this morning? Well, most, most people don't realize in 1989 to throughout the 90s when we sat next to each other and other council members like Stan Campbell and then Mayor Richard Van Root or Sue Myrick, you know, we'd, we'd be sitting for these marathon meetings till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> they would go on literally from 6.30 and a couple meetings till 2. In fact, when I was mayor, I'd, I'd, I'd say, hey, let's all, we'd order pizza at, right before midnight and get them in the back room. I mean, it was just, but during the meetings, what, this is before the Internet and before texting and phones and all this. This is how long ago it was. We would write notes to each other to crack each other up, and we'd pass the notes down like second graders. <laughs> it was probably disrespectful in a way <laughs> if people knew it, but it was just to keep us all sane. And Lynn would write the best <laughs> and just crack us up. And I'd be leading the meetings, and I'd read this note pretending it's some official note. And, of course, I'd try not to crack up on Channel 16 TV, <laughs> but it was to keep us all sane um, going through the process. So those are actually some good times that we we often had from a personal standpoint that most people don't see. Yeah, You know, um, when people look back at uh, that era, and like I said, uh, you were right there with her, uh, working with her. A lot of people talk about uh, the, the arena battle. And, you know, we were talking about the Hornets going on a win streak this morning and that building that they play in. A lot of people who are new to the area don't know uh, what went into that building actually getting built and being there. And you really can't tell the arena story and not talk about Lynn Wheeler. No, she was, she helped get the votes for it, and she also did some things behind the scenes that were quite unique. Um, but you know, she was a she was a great whip, and when I say whip, someone who gathers votes, she had that incredible skill which I did not have um, of working behind the scenes and calling people and you know wheeling and dealing and in a positive way. Um, trying to make things happen. She, that was her skill, Republican and Democrat. And uh, I remember one time when she <laughs> brought up to my office, We were this is after we lost the Hornets and we were trying to get a new team, which ended up being the Bobcats. She all of a sudden said, Pat, I want you to meet with a mayor or whatever. I want you to meet with Larry Bird and a potential new owner. Here, Larry Bird and Owen Wheeler come up to my office with this guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish I had a picture of it. Took no picture. No, this is what we were talking about earlier, though, because there was Bob Johnson and his group, and then there was this other group, and Steve Belkin was the other guy that had yeah, teamed Steve, up with. No, I think he ended up going to prison. <laughs> okay. I just remember Steve Belkin and Larry Bird and Lynn Wheeler was sort of uh, you know ushering yeah, in that group. Yeah, it was a little competition. Yeah. Uh, and the dilemma is the NBA had already kind of gone with – there was a lot of dynamics going on there. Yeah, but it was an interesting time and dynamics and maneuvering. But we got the job done, but under great controversy, and she took the hit as a district Republican rep for it. And lost her election. A lot of people say because of that. Um, so it was an interesting time, and um, you know, I, I just, I'm, again, I'm, I'm very sad to hear hear of her passing. And I, I you know, it's, it's sad. And two people we've lost recently: Parks Helms and um, Lynn Wheeler. Lynn. And I'll go to Lynn's funeral and I went to parts. And I think both of them, you know, were kind of tossed off to the side uh, after they left office. And it's something we need to do better with in our community. Wow. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you calling in and uh, being so... Um Vulnerable, authentic, and vulnerable about yes. it because it, 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 you know, that's a that's a time. Th- both those names, I mean, the three of you. Uh, the well, Parks Parks is another guy who left us recently, and mm-hmm. me and Richard Van Root and Harvey Gant and Ed McMahon were in the back of his funeral, and uh, you know, I just thought he didn't get the appreciation he deserved, even though I was often a critic. And, and we are opposing parties. He worked his butt off for this city. And uh, thanks, to, thanks to him and Lynn. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. No, it's, I mean, you all worked together and you, the, y'all changed the, the face of this city and you, you revitalized uh, a, a downtown Charlotte to, to be something that was special. And that was all of the hard work and all of, like you said, the late night conversations. Well, I, I need to mention something else real quick. Lynn was very active in um, domestic violence issues behind the scenes. Uh, so it wasn't just the arena. We were all involved. You know, it, it tends to be the projects that we're remembered for and all this crap. But there was a lot of other stuff that was worked on day to day from housing to domestic violence to public safety. Lynn, when she was a city council member, and I'm just remembering this now, really brought the attention of domestic violence because 25% of the murders when we were having a high crime rate in the early 90s was domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And Lynn, Lynn helped as a female voice at the time when there weren't a lot of female voices in bringing that issue up. And I'm just thinking of that now. So, you know, we can't forget the small things and yeah. not just the, the things that get all the publicity, like the arena or light rail and things of that nature. But there were a lot of small things on zoning decisions yeah. uh, that she and Parks and others were very active in, all the council members. Uh, Don Lockman, who we've who's passed, um, 
Well, it's and, the little stuff that's the hard stuff. And you're mentioning, I think, something that's really important. Uh, you're, you're talking about uh, you know being at Parks Helms's funeral and, and sitting back there with members of both parties, and you're talking about Lynn being able to reach across the aisle as you had to as well to get anything done. Uh, you know, I was talking earlier about Lynn Wheeler, and this is after she left office, but she became really, really good friends with Lawana Mayfield, who uh, you know is a Democrat yeah. and not somebody you might think would be best friends with Lynn Wheeler, but I, I think best friends is an applicable uh, phrase there. And um, I think, you know, in today's political age that we live in, um, there's there's not enough of the reaching across the aisles and realizing that politics is politics, but we're all people, right? And there's not enough reaching out to people who have served like Lynn and Parks did. And listen, I'm partly guilty of this, too, because after Parks passed away, I went, you know, I didn't stay in touch with him. And that's probably the same true with Lynn in many ways. We had some interaction. But um, I think there needs to be more effort to reach out to some of these people that many people have forgotten. I'm not talking about the former mayors and so forth or governors. I'm talking about these reps who put in a lot of time and, uh, and then went on and back to their families after serving the public. Well, the last, a lot of unknown heroes out there. Last so. thing I'll say about Lynn Wheeler, and how about this? You know, in the age of <laughs> in the age of Twitter, you know, uh, guess who oh, in God. all in all of the country in all of the country who has uh, or had the 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 title? Because you know, I mean, it, you know, like like uh, I I don't have at Bo Thompson because somewhere it's taken. I have at Bo Thompson WBT. The one person in the country, and you think about how many mayor pro tems there have been and are. The uh, the person who has at Mayor Pro Tim is Lynn Wheeler. Lynn Wheeler. <laughs> so. Well, I'm so glad Twitter wasn't around when I served with Lynn. <laughs> yes, I think we probably all are. Because <laughs> Lynn would have been the first one on it, and uh, it would have been tough. <laughs> yeah, she loved that but phrase. Lynn was ahead of her time in uh, communications, and and she did a lot of communications, and uh, she was just a very very interesting person and uh we were lucky to all know her well if you go to uh lynnwheeler.com uh her page that she created in 2017 is still there it says word on the street charlotte's political and business scuttlebutt with lynn wheeler yeah, if you wanted to hear any <laughs> scuttlebutt or gossip yeah she was the one to call or if you wanted to get anything out she was the one to call <laughs> but it was part of her strength of um she had communication uh, connections everywhere. Well, we got to so, let you go. Uh, there you're, are some great stories there. We appreciate you telling yeah, a few of them here thank this morning. You. And uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Sorry about the emotion. That's no, okay. You know Mark what? It was. Too, and, uh, yeah. Don Lotman and many others. We appreciate you calling on and, like Beth said, being vulnerable and telling us uh, what's really going on in the world because yeah. it's not intentional, and I apologize. No. Don't apologize for emotions. That it's exactly what you're feeling, and I think it's you know it's oh, part of being human. That. Y'all take care. Thank y'all very much. All right, there's Pat McCrory. Uh, before we go to traffic, I'll read you what Lawana Mayfield posted last night. She says, "I lost an amazing friend. Lynn Wheeler became family over our decade-long friendship. I love you now and forever. Uh, now you have no more pain and will soar in heaven." That's from uh, uh, That's Democrat Lawana Mayfield, and uh, they're really, really good friends. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. News Talk 1110, WBT, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman. Thanks again to uh, Governor McCrory for coming on and helping us remember Lynn Wheeler today. Quite an interview, the last half hour. Yeah, if you didn't hear that interview, I, uh, Bernie has posted it online. It's definitely worth going back and listening to if you want to think about the 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 history of the city and and where it how it became what it is starting in the 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 late 80s the 90s with pat mccrory with people like lynn wheeler and that interview was just a really special lovely conversation not about necessarily the city and leadership but about the humanity involved and the conversations involved and more importantly the life that happened after Leading, leaving a role of leadership. Speaking of going back and listening to interviews and uh, remembering Lynn Wheeler, 2017 was the last time she was on this show, as best I can estimate. And it coincided with a new uh, Word on the Street website that she had launched. And so she was, uh, you know, going on and talking and promoting that. And I thought, uh, here we have a moment. We just heard the governor talk about working with Lynn Wheeler. Uh, How about we hear some actual Lynn Wheeler uh, on this show? This would have been September of 2017. It's not summer, but the time has come for a new website called Word on the Street. And its author joins us on the WBT hotline right now. Haven't talked to her in a while. Former mayor pro tem and longtime member of city council, Lynn Wheeler. Lynn, good morning. Hey, Bo. How you doing? I'm doing all right. And I was reading on your new website uh, a blurb on the Word on the Street section uh, about... The uh, new segment we have with uh, former Governor McCrory here. And uh, so I appreciate you uh, bringing that to light. And on this website that you have launched this week, Word on the Street, there's a lot to go through here. Well, I'm, I'm um, doing a profile on a notable every two weeks. Uh-huh. So this one was District Attorney Andrew Murray. Um, and I'm trying to humanize people. So if you read his profile, you learn he grew up on welfare. Who would have ever thought? And he's going to be our next U.S. attorney. So everyone I profile, I'm posing questions. How'd you grow you know, where'd you grow up? What was your favorite thing to do when you grew up? What was the defining moment um, that with, with Andrew that led you to be an attorney? I'm doing Bob Morgan, and one of my questions for him is, and all these people are good friends of mine, so I'm very fortunate to have these kind of friends who trust me and just, you know, lay it out there for me. But um, Bob is a big golfer. So my, one of my questions to him, and I'm doing a photo, the Lunch at the Liberty with him photo today, is um, if you could pick your perfect foursome, you would be one of the four, and living or dead, who would they be? Huh. And why? 
Well, and this is this is all part of Word on the Street, your new website, uh, Charlotte's Political and Business Scuttlebutt with Lynn Wheeler. Uh, people who used to listen uh, in previous years back in the day, I know you used to have a, se- a segment on Pete Callender's old show where you'd come on and talk about the scuttlebutt and, and, and things you were hearing. And you've been around here for so long, and as you point out, you know so many people. This is kind of, I know this is kind of a project you've had in the works for, for many years, a, a place to kind of bring all that together. And uh, so as of this week, you have that. You had the profiles you were talking about. You have the word on the street, which uh, you know goes down the right-hand side of the, of the website. And you also, uh, from what I can tell, are inviting people to uh, contribute to the website if they have uh, information that uh, you can help get out there. Right. And then I also have just my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I have a little editorial piece. And the one this week is about, yeah, we all know we'd have to be brain dead if we didn't realize that Vilas won because Black Political Caucus. I mean, everyone they endorsed won. But if you read, in my opinion, you'll see exactly what the Black Political Caucus did for the Democratic primary. And uh, it's pretty eye-opening. And the Republicans just don't have that kind of mechanism working in Charlotte. And then I have down here part of Scuttlebutt, I've heard that the Black Political Caucus, rather than endorsing four at large because four need should be voted to be on the council they're only going to endorse two now that could change but um colette forrest who heads up the black political caucus i've known forever and she's a pistol and you know she puts her mind to something she's going to get it done and i think it's Telling Now, I was always endorsed by the Black Political Caucus, always when I ran. But she's put momentum into it this year that I have never seen before. That's a little taste of Lynn Wheeler, last conversation we had here on uh, on the morning show back in 2017. And just right there, you sort of get a flavor of, of uh, uh, the political force that she was. Uh, she uh, had friends on both sides of the aisle. She would tell you things like they were and yeah. uh, you know, sense of humor. And that, that, the word I keep coming back to, the scuttlebutt. The scuttlebutt. <laughs> I think it might have been one of her favorite words. But I think one, on a morning like this one, when we know that um, that we have lost someone like her, I think it's important to, to hear her voice, mm-hmm. to hear her personality, to just be reminded of the force that we lost and to really be reminded of the, the person she was when she walked this earth. I'm so glad you said that. I think that is one of the greatest things that we can do whenever we have the ability to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, this show, this station, when people in this community uh, pass away and, and you have people listening that may not have known them, um, yeah, we want to have people talking about their remembrances, but I always think it's important to hear their voice. Right. It gives you and a connection. We had a, a moment to do that right there, and um, so I'm glad we did. So rest in peace, Lynn Wheeler, News Talk 1110. And WBT, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman. We've spent the better part of this hour talking about uh, hyper local stuff. And next hour, we'll we'll pull the camera back out and uh, go go national and and statewide, of course, as well with the uh, the presidential race. Mick Mulvaney back in studio where he belongs on Mondays. I know we've missed him and uh, can't wait. There are so many issues that we need to cover, and he's the perfect man to cover them with. Hey, reminder. You can join Breaking Brett Jensen at the first WBT Cigar Club meetup of 2024, now just days away, Thursday, February 29th. That's this Thursday on Leap Day, 6 to 9 at the Vintage Whiskey and Cigar Bar in Gastonia. 
You can watch Brett host Breaking with Brett Jensen, maybe break some news, live, browse premium cigar brands including Cohiba, and enjoy giveaways and specials courtesy of The Vintage. It's coming up on Thursday night. Seating is limited, so lock in your reservation today. You can email cigar at wbt.com for reservations. We just got an email at gmbtshow at wbt.com from Mau Mau <laughs> saying, Good morning, B&B. We look forward to having Brett and the WBT crew in Gastonia. Hope you too will be able to make an appearance. Beth, we will have a mini cigar waiting. Oh, wow. Because last week I was saying, do, do women smoke cigars? Is it, is it a thing? Yeah, I think we're gonna have to. I think uh, I think I'm gonna have to make a make a. I mean, you and I have to leave. You know, we can't stay for the whole thing because I don't know. We have a show to do the next day. But, right, right. But I was talking to Jensen. I'm to, to go see this because I actually think it's the perfect thing for him. Oh, it's the it's so on brand. Politics on brand. Mick Mulvaney in the house, ready to go. We haven't had you in studio in a while, but uh, you've, you've been uh, basically every other place but this room over the last uh, couple of weeks. Well, there was nothing going on in American politics, <laughs> so I thought I'd take a couple of weeks off. <laughs> I don't know how you're standing upright. I like, don't either. I don't know how you know what time zone you're in. I don't know, but you're here, and that's the most important thing. I had a nice weekend with my wife for the first time this year. So that was that was nice to have a nice weekend at home. And look at your wife, you know, sending gifts with you. I mean, she sent a, a, a little a, a present for Bernie, a, a book about raising. Well, she kids. said that you need. You said last week that Bernie needed all the help he could get on raising <laughs> children. That's absolutely true. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys you for welcome. bringing this. This is very nice. And if you're just joining us, uh, the announcement was actually made early in the show last week that Bernie uh, and his wife found out last week that they are having a baby boy. And I wasn't here the day that we that you made the announcement. Which I'm so sad about because just one, Bernie. yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Boy. My <laughs> wife so used to much. have a T-shirt that said "Singletons are for sissies." So I, that was, I keep forgetting you have triplets. Yeah. Okay. So she had triplets. Tripl- I'm just oh, that's, right, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You were triplet adjacent. I was someplace in the same zip code. <laughs> I, I I cannot imagine. I'm a twin, so I was just hoping to not have twins. Uh, Identical or fraternal? I'm a fr- I'm a fraternal twin. Yeah, yeah cool. I have a twin sister. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's only one Bernie Bowles. That's true. That's Mick true. Mulvaney. So, uh, look, we're going to get started uh, a little early. You want to start now? I'll so put my much... headphones on then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, none of this has been on the air. Uh, this we is... never know the difference. I know. We don't know I don't the pay difference. Attention. I stopped paying attention to the red light a long time ago. Now, Beth and I uh, were saying earlier that I guess this morning it's been made official official. But this whole thing with Michael Watley and, and Laura, Laura Trump and, and taking over for Ronna McDaniel has been a thing for a couple of weeks now. But now all of a sudden this morning it's hitting all the wires that uh, she has officially uh, made her announcement that she's going to step aside at the spring training on March 8th in Houston to allow uh, our nominee, she says, their nominee to select a chair of their choosing. The RNC has historically undergone change once we have a nominee, and it has always been my intention to honor that tradition. That's the official statement from Ronna McDaniel, who now is officially the outgoing RNC chair. And my first thought was, didn't that already happen? That was my first thought when she made the announcement. I was like, didn't we already announce this? A couple things in context. This is completely normal. All right. And even the Democrats, and you guys know I do a lot of TV on the on the on news network with Democrats on the other side of the aisle, and they will tell you this is the normal thing that when you have a nominee for a presidential election, the nominee then gets to sort of hand pick the folks that are gonna run the RNC. You become the leader of the party. The only wrinkle here, of course, is that Donald Trump is not officially the nominee yet, so there's sort of that, but everybody knows which way this is going. So the, to make a change, completely normal. 
Um, and I, I, I think Watley's a great choice. Watley is, is perfect to work with Trump in that Michael is a tremendous operator, a good manager, and doesn't have a tremendous ego. There's a lot of people in this business from the business to get famous. Uh, Michael Steele, for example, former RNC chairman, now makes a bunch of money going on, on MSNBC, right, and selling out the Republicans. There's a lot of money to be made in this if you've got a huge ego. And Michael doesn't. He's going to be a good operator. I also like Laura going in there. Um, I was always impressed with her. I think she'd be really good. She had a little uh, hiccup that first week when she said every dime was going to go to Trump. That's not right. She's cleaned it up since then. Um, and La Civita is a good operator at the, at the campaign levels. I, I like this a lot. Uh, there's going to be a couple of growing pains just because Laura's not worked within this um, with this organization before. But uh, I think uh, ultimately this will be a, a good move. Is it not strange to have a relative of, of the, the major candidate of the party? I, I don't know that I, I can't remember seeing that in the past. It happened one time before. Reagan's daughter ran the RNC for a while, but he very famously stayed out of the race. Now, how, how much can you stay out of the race when you're Ronald Reagan? I don't think that's, you know... Um, but no, it has happened before, and it doesn't surprise anybody with Donald Trump. So. But you just said a minute ago, and I think what you were saying about the – so the RNC chair is supposed to be, in the primary process, is, is supposed to be neutral. Correct. Right? Yes. But then uh, – and so now we're about to launch in uh, to the part of the process where you know uh, who, the, who the nominee is going to be. But what about for the races that aren't the president, the races that are down the ticket that have a primary? For example, Super Tuesday coming up where you have some, some uh, candidates that are Trump-anointed, so to speak, and some of them that aren't. If you have a Laura Trump in that position, does that not create a little bit of a conflict of interest? No, it, 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 it doesn't create a conflict of interest. Yes, but it's politics. It's rife with conflicts of interest. The, 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 the traditional structure though, is that once you have the nominee for president of the United States, that person becomes the de facto leader of the party. Right. And he or she has the tradition then of putting his leadership team at the RNC and the DNC. Again, the Democrats do the same thing. They just haven't changed because they have an incumbent Democrat. If something happens, Joe Biden gets run over by a bus and Gavin Newsom is automatically now or so, somehow becomes the, the presumptive nominee. He will then put his people in charge of the DNC. That's how this works. OK. All right. Much to get to. Uh, that was a sort of bonus pregame segment. I know. Uh, Thanks for doing that. With Mick Mulvaney, <laughs> uh, the uh, full was the light on for that. Or was that actually on the air? Um, do we think that was good? Yeah. Yeah. The, we'll, the, we'll, I didn't we'll curse. That's that. good for me. On a then, then, yes, the light was on. <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, this is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. All right, off and running, Mick Mulvaney, Monday, Bo and Beth here in the Tyboid studio. After a few weeks where he was uh, traveling the country, doing various things that Mick Mulvaney does, now he's back where he belongs, in the, right across from us, former White House Chief of Staff, former South Carolina Congressman, former White House Budget Director, and watcher of many things political. See, Bernie gets the music. He, he understands that this is sort of, it's got that crescendo, it builds up. He doesn't... Guy, it's nice yeah. to get that whole sort of intro in there. Ask Bernie who who hit the button to play the music. Was it you again yeah. today? Uh, yeah. I can always I can never tell. Bo. I can never tell. <laughs> no, 
Ber- Bernie's awesome, and you're right about all that, except it just so happens today that I was playing your music. You got so. it. If well, it's good. done correctly, then it's usually both. No, no that's not true. <laughs> it's a team effort. Good morning, it, Beth. It, How are you? It takes, a, it takes a village to make Mick Mulvaney happy. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, we're thrilled to have you back. Uh, I know that you've been traveling a ton, and we're glad that you took some time to travel to us. I am, I'm enjoying my curmudgeon stage. I, I really am. I can and roll. I like yeah. this. That's why I like when you come in, because I like to try to get you out of the curmudgeon. Yeah. I work really hard to uncurmudgeon. Let's talk about the deficit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about South Carolina Hey, on yeah. Saturday night. Uh, this was South Carolina. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was an even bigger win than we anticipated. And... I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. So that's pretty good. So it's a record times two. And it's an early evening and a fantastic. You can all go down and you can celebrate for about 15 minutes and we have to get back to work because the big date, the big date, you know, Michigan's coming up. We're doing great. The auto workers are going to be with us 100 percent. Because they got sold out by this country. But Michigan's up, and uh, we're going to have a tremendous success there. And then we have a thing called Super Tuesday. And uh, I think we're leading 91 to 7 overall. So here's the thing. Uh, that I just can't a- do that anymore without, if I, you know, because I don't listen to him anymore. I, I watch him, right? I don't right. listen to him on the radio like we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And when I can't see his face, all I can see is the guy from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how good that guy's impersonation is. But go ahead. I'm sorry I cut you well, off. Well, no, I was going to say that uh, in his speech there, that was a shortened version of it, he never once mentioned the name Nikki Haley. A couple things about the speech. Uh, first of all, um, he went on immediately at 7 o'clock. I think that was in response to going second to Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. He was not happy about that. Um, and I thought he was going to talk for an hour and a half. I really did. I was, I was waiting to go on News Nation at 7.04 because they never thought he'd come out that quickly. And they, they're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And I'm texting with the folks. I'm going, he may do this till 8.30 because the longer he stays up, the longer it kicks her off. So there was that dynamic. And then somebody asked me, I think it was Chris Cuomo. I said, you know, look, he, this was a reconciliatory speech. You know, he, he gave a really nasty speech in New Hampshire. I said, I think that's just he was angry at Nikki for sort of going on stage before him. Um, but the one thing that I picked up about the speech um, that hasn't gotten nearly enough attention is who was on stage. Um, and there was a guy there that nobody recognized. His name is Woody Johnson. Woody was the old guy standing over right uh, over Trump's right shoulder with the great-looking, much younger wife. Holy cow. But anyway, um, so Woody owns the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. And Woody was our ambassador to the United Kingdom in the first Trump term. Why is it significant that he's on the stage? I assume he's got a house in Charleston or Kiowa or someplace like that. That's big money. That, 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 that represents the big money class, the big money, big money donor class. And that's who Trump has been missing for the last six months, is the folks who are writing the, the big fat checks to the pack have all been going originally to DeSantis and now to Nikki Haley. And the fact that Woody Johnson is willing to go on stage and be seen means that the money is starting to flow again. And that will be the final nail in the coffin for, for Nikki Haley, is that Trump, the one thing he hasn't been able to do is raise money on par with Joe Biden. If the likes of, of, of Mr. Johnson are there, that means this money's coming back. Well, and that comes on the heels of Charles Koch pulling away from Nikki Haley after she lost South Carolina with, I mean, she was close to 40 percent of the vote, but now doesn't have the confidence of the big money that you're just talking about that Trump seems to be getting. And, and not just the money with the Kochs. Kochs is money. Listen, money's money, and you'll take it. There's no question. Kochs was money plus. 
because with the Coke and it's K O C H, not C O K E, with the Coke uh, groups, they brought people, and that's huge. So you've got people to run social media uh, operations, you've got people to knock on doors, you've got people to organize communities, you've got the grassroots sort of infrastructure that every campaign absolutely loves and, and, and covets. And when she had that, that was a big deal. So losing that is almost as damaging to her as losing whatever money they might actually kick in in terms of dollars. Well, and he, the, the Koch brothers, um, before his brother passed away, I mean, they were the big power players in the Republican Party. And some would say that they were responsible for helping get George W. Bush elected in the early 2000s. And it feels like now that maybe they aren't or that, that Charles Koch doesn't have the same uh, the, the same, same influence. Yeah, yeah, the same influence that he had earlier. I in, think that's fair. I think the party is changing. There's no question. Both parties are changing. Both parties are getting more populist now and less sort of for lack of a better word, establishment, and certainly the Coke money tends towards the establishment. I guess it does now. I mean, Cokes were very helpful to me, and I was a Tea Party candidate. So, I mean, politics changed in Washington, D.C., and what used to be right-wing is now sort of moderate. I mean, I would be considered probably a moderate in Washington, D.C. right now because I'm not crazy. Um, But I used to be in the far, far right-wing back when we started the Freedom Caucus. All those things change, and certainly the the Cokes' influence has changed. Are they still big players? Absolutely. Anytime, again, they have a lot of money. There's no no way to to, to beat around that bush. But they have actually taken the time to build the infrastructure that makes a difference. So they probably are more influential than some of the other groups like the Club for Growth that Mm -hmm. just give money. Mm -hmm. Mick Mulvaney with us on Monday here. You heard what Trump said on Saturday night. We sort of sized up where he is in the process. When we come back, we'll hear from Nikki Haley and get Mick's thoughts on uh, what her game plan is and maybe should be in the coming days. Mick Mulvaney, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman. All systems go on the Monday after the South Carolina primary. And one week from tomorrow is Super Tuesday. Got Michigan tomorrow. Heating up now. Uh, this was Saturday night in Charleston. There are huge numbers of voters in our Republican primaries who are saying they want an alternative. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. I'm not giving up this fight when a majority of Americans disapprove of both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. South Carolina has spoken. We're the fourth state to do so. In the next 10 days, another 21 states and territories will speak. They have the right to a real choice. Not a Soviet-style election with only one candidate. Nikki Haley, uh, and, and the final tally on on Saturday or Saturday night, yeah, uh, is uh, fifty nine point eight for Trump and thirty nine point five for Nikki Haley. Yeah, a couple things about what Nikki said because I've heard that a couple times. What she says is true, right? She said there's a uh, a huge number of voters who wanted somebody else. True statement, right? I think she got almost forty percent, two hundred thousand votes or something. That's a good number, right? Then she goes on to say, and a majority of Americans want something other than Donald Trump and Joe, and Joe Biden. That's also a true statement. But she's still losing. 
Okay, it may be that she got a huge number, but that's not how we pick a nominee. Just because you get a huge number doesn't mean you're the nominee. You have to come in first. And just because a majority of Americans might want something other than Trump or Biden doesn't mean they want her, right? As, as evidenced by what we, we just saw. So I, I get all the talking points, and they're not factually inaccurate. It's just they don't, there's no correlation between that or causation between that and actually winning an election. It's like Donald Trump coming out and saying, well, in 2020, um, I got more votes than I did in 2016, and I'm the first president to do that ever, or something like that, right? He's right. That is a factual statement, but that doesn't mean you win. The, the idea is to get more than the other person, and Nikki didn't get more than the other person. I've seen some, some numbers in, uh, in Michigan. These are older numbers. They're from January. What had her down by 60 points, mm. you know, 78 to 18 type of stuff in Michigan. I don't think it'll hold at that number because I think at that time there were still other people in the race. But, I mean, there's, there's no evidence that she's going to be moving the needle at all. She got no delegates as of last count in South Carolina, because there's 50 delegates. I think it was like 29 of them go statewide. So Trump wins the first 29 um, automatically by winning the state. And then the other 21 are divided up into the seven congressional districts, three each. And I think Trump won at least six of the seven. And maybe I think the last one they're still counting, but was leading in the seventh, which means it's a clean sweep. He gets all of the delegates from South Carolina, which is all this is about at this point. And Nikki's not not changing that by staying in the race. Does she have any hope for Super Tuesday? Are there any states on Super Tuesday that she wins? Because I feel like I feel like that is her her goal. Her eye is on the prize of Super Tuesday, and then maybe after that is when she then says, "I'm I'm done." I, I mean, I think about yeah. the comeback kids, you know, that 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 somehow succeed on Super Tuesday. I mean, I think John McCain was that in 2008 that he was not ahead, but that was a whole different. A whole different ballgame because this is an incumbent president she's running against. Yeah, effectively, that's correct. And John McCain was never down by 20 in Iowa yeah. and 15 in yeah. New Hampshire. I mean, it was close. It was, they were close races and so forth, right? Or he'd won a state and lost a state. It was sort of a back and forth. You don't have that here. The answer to your question is I've not seen a single state where Nikki is within um, double, uh, single digits. Uh, I just, I've just not seen that. If it happens, it could happen because a lot of these states, the rules are different in every state. You know, by the way, people made a big deal out of, oh, Democrats can vote in South Carolina. We don't register by party in South Carolina. Right? So there is, there is no such thing as a registered Democrat or registered Republican. I always used to laugh when people stop me and say, I'm a registered Republican. I'm like, no, you're not really. But anyway, um, so technically it's an open race, but typically only Republicans vote in their primary. I had a bunch of people come to me and say, oh, you know what? This is what's going to happen. There's a bunch of Democrats in South Carolina who are going to vote for Nikki Haley so that Donald Trump loses. And I'm like, really? You really think that a politically engaged Democrat in South Carolina wants to run against Nikki Haley and Joe Biden? She wants Nikki Haley to win the nominate. No, they don't. They want Donald Trump. Democrats want Donald Trump to win this primary. So if anything, the Democrats should be coming out for Trump. Uh, so you never know when you get down into all these 21 states in the next couple of days how the dynamics are going to play out. My guess is it's more of the same Trump by roughly 20 across the board. Okay, so when we come back... What's the end game for Nikki Haley? And by end game, I mean, uh, she's talked about and, and sort of given indications and she's losing some of the money. The Koch brothers money's gone away. So what's next for her? Because there is one scenario that we've sort of been bringing up over the last week about what she could or couldn't do. And there seems to be disagreement about what is possible if she went this route. But there was an interview that was done early yesterday morning <laughs> that I have a piece of that I want you to hear because I specifically uh, want to get your response as to what the, whether we should make much of this. And okay? during the break, you're going to read my column in the, in the Hill last week on the No Labels Party.
Bowen Beth with Mick Mulvaney this weekend on Fox and Friends Weekend. Will Kane talking to No Labels National Director Joe Cunningham. There's been conversation, there's been speculation about Nikki Haley as a potential No Labels candidate. There's also a lot of talk about Joe Manchin, Mitt Romney. Who will be your candidate on the No Labels ticket? <laughs> well, I mean, the truth is we're talking to a lot of spectacular people right now, and we're not ready to unveil those folks just yet. Uh, this has been a project uh, to essentially give Americans another choice if they're unhappy with the presumptive nominees which, you know, it appears it's going to be Trump versus Biden right now. But we don't know. Nikki Haley, she's going to be remaining in the race. You can't count her out completely. Uh, and hats off to her for staying in it and for sticking with it. But we're looking for great quality people, folks that have broad appeal to independents, Democrats, Republicans. And, um, and yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley is somebody we'd, we'd definitely be interested in. And what's your timeline in selecting a candidate? So we won't be making a decision before Super Tuesday. We've said from the onset that after Super Tuesday, we're going to look at who the presumptive nominees are. And if the vast majority of Americans are unhappy with those, and we feel like we can put forward a ticket or offer our ballot line to, to candidates who can win, then we're going to offer that ballot line. Okay, so uh, during the break, I was reading uh, this article in The Hill, uh, written by a guy named Mick Mulvaney, uh, about uh, who no labels might potentially choose uh there's a paragraph here i'll uh, is it written in crayon because i heard um, he writes in crayon most of the time yeah it's, it's crayon and cursive i have to say that i do love the uh the headline americans want a viable third-party candidate can no labels find one yeah i don't, I don't write the headlines well uh, so, so here's the paragraph you wrote though it says nikki haley's name has come up in conversation in various outlets but the pro-life neoconservative former tea party governor and fiscal hawk is about as much of a compromised candidate as i would be there's no shortage of failed or past their prime former politicians who see no labels massive cash hoard and start daydreaming about what might be but those folks are already out of the game and for a reason Therein lies the age old. You can't beat something with nothing. And right now, No Labels has nothing. Well, and let's point out, too, that Joe Manchin is the other name that has been floating around. He's out of the No Labels game, as is Larry Hogan, the former governor, also out of the game. Those are the names that people have been paying the most attention to and that have perked up their ears. So now here we've got this party that's been working to get names on the ballot, but we don't have a name to put beside No Labels yet. That's correct. By the way, do you know who Joe Cunningham is? Uh, he was uh, their guest on Fox and Friends earlier. But do you, know, do you know who he is? <laughs> he's the he's the the uh, no labels. Yeah, co- uh, nobody director. knows who he is. Okay, Joe Cunningham was a member of Congress for one term from South Carolina. <laughs> he beat Mark Sanford in a strange race. No, he beat Mark Sanford's challenger, Christy Arrington, or something like that. So he's in Congress for a year or two. Um, and I like him. Don't get me wrong. No one listens to Joe Cunningham. I mean, we don't, when you don't know who somebody is at the politics level, no one's going to pay any attention to it. I don't know why they interviewed but him. But they, they so. called him the national director. Yeah, but there's like 15 of those. Okay, oh, well, so, see, this yeah. is, this is this why is we're talking yeah, about I think, it. I think McCrory's one of those. I think Pat was well, just at a press conference two weeks ago for so, No Labels. So he, I often hear him to call the, one of co-chair. the, the co- co-chairs. Yeah. So that was my, my immediate thought yesterday, and I'm glad you brought it up as you did, because I thought, okay, Joe Cunningham, I've not heard of this guy, but... <laughs> But apparently he's the national director. So what does that mean in relation to what yeah. McCrory is or he's some nobody. of these other people? He's, he's nobody. Look, there's there's a, the no labels people are really smart. They are good. They are good operators. They are Clinton-esque Democrat leaning. Okay, it's Nancy Jacobson and her husband Mark Penn. He's a great pollster, by the way. They're professionals, and they've raised a professional amount of money. That number that gets thrown around regularly is about eighty million dollars. 
So they're real at this, and they're doing it the proper way. They're going out to try and make sure that they get on the ballot in a requisite number of states. I think they're shooting for 26 or something like that, all the big states where they think that a purple candidate could win. So they're not going to Alabama. They're not going to California. They're going someplace else, right? Anyway, um, they might be going to California. But anyway, they're real operators. So if anybody were able to do this, it would be these folks. I think they're for real. But they haven't got anybody. And, and, and Joe, Joe Manchin was never going to do it. I thought Larry Hogan was probably the best they had. Because you have to get a Republican that some Democrats would vote for. And, and that's, my, that's my knock against Nikki Haley. And the, Nikki Haley, you know, is just she, she's a good governor, but she's not going to appeal to many pro-choice Democrats. She's not going to appeal to many um, Joe Biden voters. So if, if No Labels wants to be a spoiler just to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't win, that they might put Nikki Haley on a ballot, but they've sworn up and down from the very beginning they're not in this race to be a spoiler. They're actually trying to win. I just don't see it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was a name. They couldn't get him. Oprah Winfrey was a name. They couldn't get her. I've heard Taylor Swift's name a couple times, but I think that's more of a, you know, that's a, that's, I, I thought she was working for the, for the, for the team Biden. But anyway, um, so they just, that, that person doesn't exist. There isn't that, that, that gray-haired sort of, uh, mutually uh, admired great American out there who could come back and serve as president for four years to turn things around. That person doesn't exist. So what is Nikki Haley doing then? Because the only other thing, other scenario that 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 keeps popping up is, is she doing this because she believes that there's the, uh, there's the not, I mean, I don't know, there's the possibility that Trump could get uh, tripped up legally and not be able to run, and then there she is standing, waiting to take the baton. All right, two theories. There's two theories on why she's doing what she's doing. That's one of them, and that gets a lot of the attention, that she's waiting around to see if something happens to Trump, which is fine on its face. It makes some sense. It explains a little bit of what she's doing, but that's not how it works. If if Trump gets run over by a – first of all, if Trump gets enough delegates, Trump is going to be the nominee because Trump is never going to release his delegates to vote for somebody else. If he's sitting in a jail cell someplace, he's still going to be the nominee, period, end of story. So the only thing that might happen – and there's no mechanism, by the way, for the party to remove him against his will if if he's got the delegates. Keep in mind, the delegates will also set the rules of the convention. They do all those types of things. So the only chance that sticking around sort of theory works with is – if Donald Trump gets hit by a meteorite, but he's dead, right? But even then, just because you're the last person standing doesn't mean you win. His delegates are still his delegates. They could choose to vote for her. They could choose to vote for Ron DeSantis. Anybody could get in the race. Keep in mind, and this didn't get very highly reported, Ron DeSantis was on the ballot in South Carolina. Chris Christie was on the ballot in South Carolina. Vivek Ramaswamy was on the ballot in South Carolina. And that will play out through all of Super Tuesday. All of these folks who have dropped out of the race have just suspended their yeah. campaign, and they could get back in easily. So well, and they got take votes. That one, and they got some votes, yeah. yeah. And they got together, they got about 1%. The other theory I've heard, aside from just waiting around to see what happens, um, is that, that the big money in New York offered her a, you know, a, a pretty good deal to stay in, which is you stay in, we'll back her, you give Trump a hard time, we're big Democrat donors, take our money, and we know your career is over because once you cross Donald Trump and the Republican Party, you're probably finished, and we'll take care of you afterwards. You'll be on the board at this company. You'll be making this much money, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a deal there that she stays in and exchanges her political future for some big, you know, big payday. That also explains the facts. I don't have any inside information on either side of those coins, but they, they all have a little bit that rings true and all that has a little that rings false. When we come back, I want to ask you about what happens. I'm going to go back to this no labels idea. And if they do find a candidate that is viable in some way, shape or form, what happens 
if we have an election in November and nobody gets to 270. Yes. And then how we move forward from there. Fascinating stuff. Final segment here, Monday morning, Bo and Beth and Mick Mulvaney. Where does the time go? I know, and we even had you for an extra segment today. Be careful, I'm going to ask you for three hours next week. I know, next Monday you're going to do the whole show with us. So right before the break, I was asking the question about a no-labels third-party candidate. If they do get a viable candidate on the ballot and that person ends up getting enough votes to prevent any one candidate from receiving the 270 electoral college votes needed to become the president of the United States. The next thing that happens, because I'm a history buff and I, I love this entire process, that vote then goes to the U.S. House of Representatives. But? But every member of the House does not get to vote. Each... Every member of the House does get to does vote. Does get to vote, but... but only one vote counts for each state. Right. Each state has one vote in the House in that particular circumstance. So California gets a vote. Montana gets a vote. North Carolina and South Carolina get one vote each. And then it's whoever the majority of the members within that state who they vote for. That's who the state goes for. So here's the big question in that. So November happens. If if this would if this were to happen, yes. Does the lame duck Congress session make that choice, no. or does the new Congress make the choice? It is the new Congress. And we've only tested this one other time, right? I in be- American I history, I think it was a lo- yeah, eighteen hundred something like Jefferson that. Jefferson and Burr. Yeah. That's the only one I can. Although come the Constitution up with. has changed back since then, because we've done a bunch of changes. Because it used to be this, the president and vice president ran separately. Now they run together. Right. So there have been some changes, but yes, it's been a long time. Actually, I think in eighteen twenty four. The election went to the House of Representatives. That was uh, John Quincy Adams, I think. That, I think that's right. Um, so it's, it's only happened a couple of times, and it's been a really, really long time since that's happened. And is, it, is there a possibility, even if no labels doesn't come up with a, a candidate? We just got an email from a, a listener that was saying we don't spend a lot of time talking about RFK Jr. Mm-hmm. And at, is he potentially a viable third-party candidate that could knock somebody away from the 270? Here's the problem that, that RFK Jr. has got. And I talked in the last segment about what professionals no labels are. And they are, 100%. This is a profession, by the way. There are people who are in the business of politics, okay? And these folks are really good at it. There's Robert. a director. Robert F. Kennedy is not. <laughs> That's exactly right. Robert F. Kennedy is not a professional at this, right? And he's on the ballot, I think, right now in one state only. And that's Utah, which is like the easiest one in the whole country to get on. I'm not sure he's going to be able to get his name on the ballot in enough states to worth talking about. There is some discussion about him running as the Libertarian, because the Libertarian Party has a line because of their traditional participation, right? So they get their line every single every single four years. And if Kennedy becomes the Libertarian, he can get on the ballot in all the states that have Libertarians. But that means Libertarians have to take him, and he's not exactly the ideal Libertarian sort of, sort of candidate. He's got some Libertarian-leaning views, but some that are not consistent. So uh, he's probably not going to get on as an individual. He might get on as a third-party Libertarian, but... Either way, I'm just not sure he moves the needle very much. Do you think we see this happen? It, well, the two, no. The 270 not being reached? No, because I just, I mean, a tie could also, a tie could happen now. In fact, a tie, is, is, is we, there's been various scenarios in the last couple of elections where you're actually, okay, only a couple small things have to happen for there to be a tie at 269. You can do it now. And if there's a tie, then the same thing you've just described happens. Um, do I think that no labels wins a state um, and gets electoral votes? No. Um, I don't. By those two states that allocate their electoral votes, you don't have to win the whole state to get some. I think it's Nebraska and 
either Maine or New Hampshire, I can't remember. So you could, in theory, not win a state, but get an electoral vote. So there's, there's that possibility. I just don't see it because they don't have a candidate. It, none of the above is not a, you know, uh, none of these candidates is not, is not an option. None of the above is not an option. If you could get that, you'd get a third of the vote and probably really throw things into, into, uh, into a tailspin. But you don't get that. You have to put a name, and they haven't got a name. Let me go back to Saturday night for a second here. This was a moment during Trump's uh, victory speech. And you being from South Carolina and knowing the pulse of things there and having served with Trump, I'm curious as to yeah. what you can tell us was, was going on in this moment. Another man, not a lot of people know him. He doesn't do too much television. He happens to be a little bit uh, further left than some of the people on the stage. But I always say... When I'm in trouble on the left, I call up Lindsey Graham and he straightens it out so fast. And I'll tell you, no, 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 remember, remember. I love him, he's a good man. Come up here, Lindsey. Come up here, Lindsey. Come here. Okay, are you ready? America, the nightmare you're facing is just about over. Help is on the way. This is the most qualified man to be president of the United States. And let it be said that South Carolina created the biggest political comeback in American history. <laughs> Thank you, Lincoln. <laughs> An interesting moment, to say the yeah, least. I'm not sure it's a comeback. I, mean, <laughs> I wonder if Lindsay had had a couple of drinks before he got up on stage. But I'm just me wondering out loud. Um, look, uh, Lindsay has been through this before. Uh, the man is is a, the best politician I've seen aside from Donald Trump. Maybe he's in the top five of all time. Um, he once told me that the difference between being in the House and the Senate is that you House members only know how to count to two. We know how to count to six. And I said, what does that mean? He says, it means I can do whatever the hell I want for four years as long as I behave the last two. Well, he's up in 2026, so he's got to start behaving now. And he knows those boos are not good for him. But Lindsey wins every single time uh, and probably will win in 2026. It'll just be... It'll be ugly, and he'll go hot and cold with Donald Trump. No one has said more heinous things about Donald Trump than Lindsey Graham. And no, more, no one has said more obsequious things about Donald Trump than Lindsey Graham. So um, he, knows, he, he's, he's, he knows how the game is played. Well, and there's Donald Trump standing on the stage saying he's a great guy, and I love him in front of that crowd of booers. So yep. does that take some of the boos away? Does it take away some of the sting? Eh, yeah, maybe. You know, you never know. You never, with, with Trump, you never know because he could turn on you in a second, right? Yeah. Um, but he and Lindsey have had this sort of love-hate relationship back to the very beginning. The president used to say, oh, Lindsey's my friend. Lindsey's my friend. president, he's not your friend. He's your current business associate. And at some point, you know, right now it's good for him to be associated with you and it's good for you to be associated with him. If that ever changes, then the relationship is changing. And they both know that. So it's not like it's a... It's not like they're trying to fool each other. 30 seconds. Uh, what about the junior senator from South Carolina? Where, where is he right about now? Still on the vice presidential list. My guess is he's probably in Michigan talking to African-American groups. Um, he's thrown himself behind the president 100 percent. And my guess is he wants to be vice president. And he was on the stage, too, of course, uh-huh. up there. And you mentioned Woody Johnson. It was an interesting conglomeration of people on Saturday night. Can I still say how great looking Woody Johnson's much younger wife is? Or is that, <laughs> does that get me in trouble with somebody? Uh, Look at the time. Let's get out of here. (laughs) Might be your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mick.
We're back tomorrow on WBT.